Future Podcast. I am your host, Richard Hall, as always. And this is a new series we've got now called The Gentleman of Entrance Greatest Games. I'm joined today by our editor, Emmett Gates. How are you doing, Emmett? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, nice to be here for the, the opening series. Yeah, it's going to be a good one, this. I can feel it. It's going to be uh, hard to keep to the time frame. <laughs> and we've also, because it is a beginning of a series, we have a special guest to kickstart it off. So the person who's chosen this game, a game that is very close to my heart, um, we're very excited to welcome is Rob Smythe. He's a freelance sports writer who features very heavily in The Guardian. Rob, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I feel a bit guilty you saying a special guest. People listening to probably think you have Viali or Mancini on. <laughs> and then you get to think of it. But anyway, yeah, thanks for having me. People who know this podcast know that Mancini's not going to appear on it. Although, <laughs> I have interviewed him, though. I'll say that one. But yeah, he certainly didn't want to come on the pod. <laughs> so, so, I don't want to talk too much about the detail of the game, but just for our listeners, can you tell everyone what obviously what the game is? Because that would be a good start. But also, why you've chosen it. And obviously, you know, with this website, um, a lot of well, a good portion of what we do is looking back at the history and the nostalgia of City um, I think that most of our listeners are all sort of disciples of uh, Channel 4 or before. Um, so we're just interested every time we ever interview anybody, how did you get into Italian football? What's your links with it? You know, just and why this is relevant, really. Yeah, it's interesting. So my, my first vivid memory is this season, 1990-91, and the game is... Um, what was kind of close to a title decider between Inter and Sampdoria at the San Siro. I, I've got a vague memory of, I think, watching... There was a game when Milan collapsed, didn't they, at the end of the previous season and blew the league. Was it Verona? And yeah. I've got a vague, a vague memory of watching that on TV, but I don't know if it's a false memory because I had a chat with someone about this once and they claimed it was never on. But anyway, the two years it was on B-Sky-B before Channel 4 and James Richardson, I really got into it then. Um, and so this was probably the first proper season I'd followed it. But also, this game, it's, it's just, I guess everyone has games in a formative years that just live with them. At the time, it was a more visceral experience more than anything, just because it was so exciting. But kind of over time, I've grown to appreciate it more because I appreciate the context and also to try to actually understand what made it so good. Was it just I was 15 years old and, you know, susceptible? And I think there's actually a lot more to it than that. Um, it's just one of, it's the, I mean, I'm, I'm nowhere near as big an expert in Serie A as you guys, but it's the best Serie A game I've ever seen. Certainly the most dramatic. It, it certainly is. We'll go through in detail in a moment, but I mean, there's an overview, as you rightly say. I mean, this season, um, it was something. It was something special. Um, you know, for me, uh, following into not so much, but <laughs> I mean, you know, it was one of my very early uh, memories. Obviously, after 1990 World Cup, and you rightly say, B Sky B did have this. It didn't all start with uh, James Richardson and Channel 4. And, and it was it was really good coverage. And I think this season, when you look at the league, it was really when I think uh, it really uh, Italy was an absolute, almost at its peak. You could say it happened, the peak was just before, but it was a real a real strong league, strong teams in it. And you're right, this is the fourth last game to the season. It's pretty much, you've got to remember, it's two points for a win. And, you know, I mean, both teams Second, first and second. Um, well, Sampdoria can afford to draw. I think it is uh, in this game. Uh, but yes, the win. Yeah, exactly. Sampdoria had forty-five into forty-two. Milan forty-one. So Milan went out. It was essentially a draw. Kind of kept Sampdoria in control of the race because they'd, they'd also beaten Inter at home, which in itself was a great game. They had ten men for most of the game. 
was one all. Serena missed a header by this much at one all, and then they scored two late goals. Um, Viali penalty and Mancini, I think, after a ludicrous run from Viekovard. But yeah, I think I think the quality is the thing as much as anything that was kind of so seductive because although I love English football, you know, warts and all, in, back in 1990, it wasn't the most sophisticated product. So it, it's not that I had a preference, but watching Serie A was just such a lovely contrast because the quality was so much higher. It was so much more sophisticated tactically and things like that. Um, and yeah, I suppose also there was an element of... Um, yeah, B-Sky-B, I don't know, maybe it's because not actually that many people had B-Sky-B, so you almost felt like you needed to get your value for it in the playground, so you could uh, mm-hmm. boast about how much you knew about Italian football, but the coverage was good. One thing I always remember, actually, was that one of the co-commentators, which seems weird now, was Gary Lineker. Um, he was often in the studio as well. Apart from that, they had, obviously, people who played in Italy, like Souness and um, Charles Francis, but yeah, I always remember Lineker being on it for some reason. It's, it was good coverage, it really was, I mean, it was different, it was- yeah, it was more sober than Channel Channel Fours was more kind of fresher and more interesting, but it was still it was still good stuff. They, I always remember actually they had Brian Glanville on Monday nights and he'd go off on these almighty tangents and you could see John Inverdale straining to go for a break and just trying to nip in when he could and he couldn't just couldn't get a word in. It was hilarious. <laughs> I, Emma, I just want to ask you a question on this because um luckily you're not as old as myself. <laughs> yeah, oh, you were. Yeah, and you know, I know you did watch this game at, at the time, but obviously, from your perspective, I mean, you know, you're not just City R, which is obviously, you know, is great. When you look back at the history of this, I mean, when you watch this game, uh, we are going obviously into detail of the game again because we will start going through it. But what did what did you think? Because like Rob, you know, for me, it was insane. This game, I think. Um... When this game, when this game originally happened, I was four years old, um, and I had always heard of the legacy almost of this game, and I'd seen bits and pieces of it, you know, over time, you know, a clip here, a clip there on YouTube, and I read Rob's uh, five thousand word thesis on this game for the for the Nissan Dorma website, um, but actually watching it back in preparation for this podcast, what struck me was a the action, the amount of, it was just all out action, um, and also the relentlessness of the game. Usually in Serie A games, especially in the mid-90s, they would kind of go... Free back pass as well. Yeah. Yeah, which is really unusual. Um, they would go f- almost full throttle for maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, and then there would be a lull where kind of they get their breath, kind of get a tactical reshuffle and go again. But this literally was 90 minutes of relentlessness from both sides. And that was kind of my main takeaway from the game. Apart, apart from it being a classic, it was just both teams, obviously Samp were defending for large portions of it, but it was it was really weird to see a Trapatoni side just going hell for leather from the first minute to the last. Yeah, absolutely. So Rob, take us through this game from sort of start to finish, if you will, and we'll just chip in because... I mean, from an Inter perspective, <clears throat> you know, when when the, the teams can obviously come onto the pitch and Martin Tyler makes it in the commentary very, um, very obvious about just what's at stake here. And you can tell that, you know, Inter, the reliance on the obvious, the Germans, um, you know, Matthias Klinsmann, Andreas Bremer, it is obviously huge. But, you know, the Inter squad that, um, that year, um, 
for me, you know, it always goes down in, in my memories, absolutely, because of the likes of, you know, Walter Zenger in there, you had Burgundy, Ricardo Ferry. It was just, they won the league uh, two years previously. Nicola Bert is in there, Seppi Beresi, uh, Aldo Serena. This team's just uh, iconic in a sense. And, you know, for me, looking back, it was probably one of the, one of the you know, probably one of the strongest sides Inter have had. Uh, and when I mean, when I say that, I mean in the, uh, Emma kind of touched on it there, the fact that they were relentless. Um, and obviously, you know, they come up against the Sampdoria side, which in itself, you know, is absolutely phenomenal when you look back. I mean, maybe not as much when you looked at it at the time, because Lombardo was coming through in a sense. Uh, obviously, Mancini was, was, was ridiculous. You've got the young Marco Branca in there. The yeah, was uh, probably quite getting on at that point. But again, it, that's Whilst they've got a good, a good side, they're, even their uh, foreign players like Mihalichenko, you know, he's uh, he's out in this game, I know, but he's probably the most well-known. Um, you know, so they've not got the sort of stature, but they're more of an emerging team. So that's the sort of stage set. But then, how how would you, if people who haven't seen the game, how would you say that game starts and, and, and kicks off in a sense? Well, yeah, the, the actual kickoff. Normally, you don't dwell on the actual kickoff too often, but in this game, I think it sums it up because the, Sampdoria were really good at playing away from home, taking time out of the game. They'd only conceded, I think, four in fourteen that season. They'd won at Milan, drawn at Juventus, who were title rivals for a while and then faded. But Viali Mancini's kickoff with like no urgency, almost like they're messing around in the park. And Bertie's just all over them within us a millisecond, gives them all to Clint with an inter off, and it kind of sums up what happened for the first. Well, for the whole game, really, but Sampdoria weren't able to respond for the first hour. It was just into constant pressure, really. Um, I mean, they had so many. The second half, particularly the last half hour, the most dramatic. But I agree with Emmett that there's just no break at all, really, which is so unusual because in those days, before the before the backpass law came in, it you know, all right, this game isn't that high scoring, but it was so high in terms of the intensity, and that was really unusual. I mean. I'm trying to think of some of the first half chances. Mateus had a long-range shot well saved by Paliuka. There was another one, I think, cross cut through to Bertie. Paliuka made a good save there. And it was just absolutely relentless. Sampdoria pretty much. Viali played in the first half almost as a second left-back. It was really strange. Um, and, yeah, just, just constant pressure, really. And then um, after about 40 minutes, there was a, a really big moment when... Um, uh, Klinsman went through and scored, really kind of neat finish with the outside of his foot. It was given wrongly offside. I think they thought it might have come off a, a Sampdoria... Ah, hang on, let me think about this. I think they thought... It, no, actually, no, it's wrong. I think they thought it came off an interplay, but it actually went off a Sampdoria yeah. player. And I'm not sure Klinsman was behind the last uh, defender anyway. It was um, a shock decision. I, I mean, yeah, it was, it was terrible. Like, genuinely terrible. The thought that wouldn't happen now. And not just because of VAR, yeah. because assistant refereeing has improved so much. Well, also as well, I think Martitala states in the commentary, the referees didn't go professional in Italy until the year after. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, we'll talk probably a lot more about that referee, but um, <laughs> from your point of view, that Klinsman chance, uh, you've got to be with us on this, surely. Oh, yeah. I, um, watching him back, um, I was thinking, why why was that disallowed as it, I was, as it was happening? And then you see the referee with the flag up, and I'm like, I'm thinking he's not offside. How how did the referee give that? It was a really smart finish from Glinsman. Yeah, it was lovely, wasn't it? But I was just thinking, why why is he given that? You know, that's that's the kind of thing where VAR today would be. You know, the referee would be over. It's 
I don't even think it was yeah. a, a borderline call. It was you clearly see Klinsman was on side. And that's the thing. And so I'm going to ask you a question, Rob. You, you were right. It's, it, you know, Clint, uh, sorry, Mateus is shooting from everywhere, obviously, yeah. in order to do so. And they are absolute thunderbolts. I mean, Pagalik is, what, 24 years old? And he's having an absolute blinder, to be honest. And, you know, wet surface as well. So Trepatoni's obviously said, listen, you know, in that midfield, like you rightly said before, Bertie's got to get about that Mateus is doing that. And Sampas out so deep. What happens in that game? If that goal is, if the assistant referee or linesman at the time would have said, you know, that stands, how do you think the game goes after that? Um, obviously, it's hard to say, but my, my instinct is to probably win because I think they were so on top of that point. I mean, I suppose I suppose there would then be a danger that Inter, particularly a Trapattoni team, would then sit on their lead rather than trying to score a second. But Sampdoria were, were geared to play away from home, but I'm not so sure they were geared to play away from home when they were behind. Clearly, they were a fine team, but they weren't as, um, you know, you look at a team like, say, Liverpool now, who are perfectly good at coming from behind wherever they're playing. Sampdoria, I think they, their plan was to keep it for nil-nil as long as possible, 90 minutes if needs be. Um, so I think, I suppose the, the issue would be whether Inter would try and build on what had been a really dominant first half, or whether they would sit at their one-nil lead and invite a bit of pressure. But my, my instinct is that they would probably win the game, because they were so, so dominant for the first, well, actually for the first about 75 minutes, but certainly for the first half. It's, is it in the first half? I can't remember now. Is it Klinsman who misses an absolute sitter as well? I think it's a close header. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, he I think he's been put off. Yeah, Serena gets a brilliant header across goal. And I think he was put off by someone throwing a boot towards him. I think it's Pellegrini, actually. And it sort of skims off his head and goes wide, which is unusual because you wouldn't say that Klinsman was anything but a brave player, really. He threw his head into some ludicrous places. So I don't know whether it was just a split second he was put off or what, but... Um, yeah, it was a great chance. He ended up in the net holding his head. I think Pellegrini did actually catch him. But, um, yeah, someone who's so good in the air, you know. Yeah, I've seen that um, when I was watching the game back, I've seen the Klinsman chance. And he actually, because the surface is so wet, he f- flies into the net and his head goes through the netting. So he has to, like, <laughs> untangle his head <laughs> in between the netting to get out. <laughs> um, but just before just before the Klinsman chance, Inter have a free kick. And there's either Mateus or Brema standing over it. And I'm thinking, if you're a Paliuka, you know your hands are about to sting. Because <laughs> both <laughs> yeah. players get absolutely wallop of football. And Mateus, I think Brema rolls it across and Mateus absolutely smashes it. And Paliuka dives to his left-hand side and pulls off a great save. But I was thinking, his hands are <laughs> bound to hurt. <laughs> it's worth saying, I mean, you know, Mateus... For anyone who doesn't know that season, um, you know, he's playing in that. So he's just won, obviously, coming off the back of the World Cup. He's um, previously, obviously, won the City with with the Inter. And was he was he European Player of the Year? Or, uh, was it first ballon? I can't remember at the moment. But, you know, he's just won one of the most prestigious awards in football. And from playing in midfield, he gets 16 league goals that season and finishes second top scorer to, to Viali. And you've got to say, when you watch him play, he's just he's like he's got the engine of Zanetti but then he's just got this shot like Adriano he's just obscene the way he plays in that game and yeah, he, you can tell players are scared of him oh yeah he was just terrifying around that time he was 
probably the best player in the world, I would say. It was it was like a kind of footballer cyborg, you know. You just just when particularly with a guy those long surges through midfield. I can remember one against England down the left in the semi final, and obviously goal against Yugoslavia. And there were so many. And his shooting, as you say, like, he was almost a banker from twenty yards. It was incredible how precise and powerful his shots were, um, which made this game even stranger because he had about. 40 shots it felt like um, <laughs> without scoring but yeah it's a phenomenal player I think he I don't know maybe it's in, maybe it's in England because of the whole German thing that he's, I, I still feel like he's slightly underappreciated historically I, I thought he was just an awesome player well when you take it out of context we said obviously then Diali finished 19 goals but when you look at the players and you, who he finished above and obviously some big names we're going to quote here but also if you take it in the context of the moment of who people thought were going to be big, the likes of Thomas Scarabi, uh, Genoa. Mm. But he's outscored Roberto Baggio, Klinsman, Alessandro Melli, Mancini, Rudy Voller, Van Basten, Ruben Sosa and Claudio Canizia. Yeah. Midfield. I mean, I'd that love... is phenomenal. Yeah, no, it is. I'd love to know how many were from outside the box. Probably at least half, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, more than likely, more than likely. So, what is... So, you know, half time's obviously uh, approaching this game, and what what happens next? <laughs> this, this is great. Um, so Sampdoria, although they were under all kinds of pressure, did have the occasional promising break, usually through Lombardo on the right, um, and he does Bremer with a beautiful piece of skill. He just stops play, draws him in, and lifts the ball over, and he's away into the area. Tries to find Mancini, who basically dives, um, and then there's a, a kind of comedy standoff between Mancini and Bergami and everyone piles in and there's nothing much to it at all really um, but the referee Pedro Dalia who had already been quite theatrical in a few of his not so much his decision making but his decision signalling kind of giving mundane free kicks for the flourish and things like that well he decided to send them both off um, and unless there's something we've missed on the replay I don't think there is there really wasn't I'm not even sure it's a red card now never mind in 1991 um, <laughs> But then they, they go off, they're both almost in tears, arms around each other. Then Bergami gets hit on the head, but I shouldn't laugh. Hit on the head by a coin thrown by an Inter fan at, at Mancini. Hits Bergami on the head and he goes down and it's just complete chaos. Um, and then the referee, but that's pretty much right on half time. Mancini had played up front on his own because Viali had been doing so much work up down the left. He'd hardly touched the ball. <laughs> and then he's off. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I thought it was a very excessive decision. It, I think he was, um, yeah, because I, and two reds at that point. I think the reds actually did. I don't think it did. I know it sounds strange to say when Mancini goes off, um, it, it's more, it's worse for Inter in a sense because Mancini wasn't particularly fit before that game, and he was. They were talking about whether he was going to play or not. Mm. And then obviously, when he goes up, it, it allows Sampdoria to pretty much do the same thing. Yeah, but you know, they just make Lombardo. A break a bit more with Viali when that happens but then he sits back and it doesn't really alter their game plan where Inter sort of has to then readjust but just one thing on that when you say you know he certainly was hit by a coin from the crowd um, and it was definitely aimed at Mancini but there's a little moment afterwards where Mancini sees it happen wants to go back to Bergami but then just carries on a few paces <laughs> he's thinking there's definitely another one coming for me I'm out of here yeah <laughs> Yeah, but, <laughs> I don't blame him, to be honest. I don't yeah, think that's too, cool. too just, just before, um, just before Bergami gets hit by, it must have been a coin or a lighter or something, there was a beautiful little moment where they're both walking off together and I think, is it Mancini kind of puts his arm around Bergami or vice yeah. versa? And they kind of just like, 
they're getting sent off, so they just kind of go off together. They go hand in hand, arm in arm. Was, <laughs> both, both put the world to rights, aren't they? It's great. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> so he gets to half time, and you know, I think that, well, especially when you listen to uh, Marty Tyler and Trevor Francis there, there's certainly, um, I think the feeling, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, what do you think about it? Is that, there's a feeling that Inter have got the momentum. But there's a real feeling that it's starting to really fire up, obviously because of the sendings off. But it feels as though there's a bit of panic maybe brewing in it with Inter. A realisation that, you know, some, they know what Sampdoria are trying to do now. Um, but also, from, from, so from that question, you know, is that the right analysis? And secondly, after that, and I'll put this second one to you, Emmett, um, just want to talk about Pagluka afterwards, but Rob, is that assessment right? And how do you think that the both teams are, are coming out in the second half? You know, what's their game plans? Yeah, I think that's fair. Probably um, just more of the same. I mean, they didn't really adjust tactically into just then played with Ferry on his own because they knew Sampdoria would only have Viali. Um, and you're right, there was it was getting a bit fractious. There'd been a penalty appeal and a bit of a shoving match earlier on when Bertie went down, um, and actually. My, my first instinct with him was always to think it probably wasn't a penalty, but the more I look at it, the more I think it possibly was. Um, but he was he was particularly hyped up, even by his, um, or particularly fired up, even by his standards. So yeah, there was that issue. I think for Sampdoria, it was just the same. I mean, they, it was kind of keep a clean sheet, anything else is a bonus, I think was their game plan. Um, but what happened subsequently was the, the kind of, it's a lovely phrase that Steve Koppel used about, do you remember that crazy um, Crystal Palace semi-final when they beat Liverpool 4-3? Yeah. Yeah. And he talked about basically he wanted to stay in the game long enough until human nature kicked in, until things basically just got basically completely chaotic. And I don't think Sampdoria planned for that, but I think in the end, human nature kicked in after about an hour, or certainly, yeah, after about an hour, and they were just kind of swept along with it. And after that, it became a free-for-all. But I think at this point, at half-time, I think they're just thinking, clean sheet, um, and anything else is, is a bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Just coming back to that point on Pagliuca, I mean, I mean, you, you know, you saw him in his in his latter years, but it's a standout. I mean, obviously the whole game, he's, he's fantastic. But that first half, you know, he really is at some points under pressure. Um, do you think you can see there at 24 just what he's going to go on and uh, achieve? Yeah, absolutely. You can see... You, you can see the greatness in him. And what, like three years later, Inter would sign him as a Walter Zanga replacement. Uh, I, I'm, this was probably his coming out party, in a way. <laughs> um, he, he was just he was phenomenal. Obviously, we'll talk about the stats at the end of the game, but the amount of saves that Paliuka makes throughout the 90 minutes is absolutely extraordinary. It does feel like, like you mentioned it there, that it's, it's Paliuka becoming onto the world stage. Is Zenga from? There's only a couple of seasons afterwards where he does, like you say, he goes off to Sampdoria. He goes to Sampdoria, actually, doesn't he? Is there a swap there? Yeah, there's a swap. I think Zanga goes to Samp, Samp and Paliuka goes the other way. Yeah, and he's that changing of the guard. So, obviously, the changing of the guard after 91, 92. That's 90. Yeah, it was um, Saki had taken over the national team. It was no more Zanga as well, wasn't it? So, it was, uh, yeah, it certainly is. So, Rob, the second half kicks off. And I don't know where to start with the second half. So, <laughs> this is completely over to you. <laughs> Yeah, well, it just it just settled into the same pattern. But I suppose one small difference is because Mancini had gone off, Viali had moved. I mean, ostensibly he was playing up front anyway, but in reality he was playing left wing slash left back. But he now went up front, and he's kind of increased mobility. I think 
gave Sampdoria more of a threat, but it was still pretty much all Inter. Um, probably the first big moment, 58 minutes, Bianchi missed an open goal, and just it's hard to know how he did. There was a bit of a scramble in the area. Uh, Pellicca made a great save from, I think it was Bertie. No, no, fact, it was Pellegrini who kind of threw himself in front of Pellicca, and I'm still not sure who blocked it. But anyway, it fell to Bianchi kind of six, eight yards out, and he lobs it over the bar. Um, and you're right, you get to a point, you think, like, how, how are Inter not ahead now? And I'm sure at that point, pretty much all Inter fans are thinking, gee, it's kind of torn between thinking it's coming any minute or it's not our day. But um, they just kind of kept going. I remember one point when someone hoofed the ball out for a throw, and I think it was Vieca World, and Martin Tyler was talking about they just need a break to get some air in their lungs. It was that relentless. Um, but then the, the kind of ultimate smash and grab, after an hour, Beppe Dossena gave Sabdori the lead on the break. Um, it was a bit of a mistake from, I think it was Stringari who played a kind of... Yeah, yeah Stringari allowed Matos to he, run past him thinking there was someone there. Yeah. And there was, but it was Viali. So then he kind of <laughs> surged down the left, cut back inside, played Dossena, who hadn't scored all season in the league. And he's pinged in this lovely low shot 25 yards. Flash past Zengrit near post. I don't think there's much he could do, really. They're defending so deep, Sampdoria, that players like Stringara, who oh, is so wrong-footed here, they have been having the run of midfield. But Viali, with Cerezo making a good run, and Dossena is there as well! Would you believe it? 15 minutes into the second half. The first shot in anger. Pepe Dossena, his first goal in the league this season, and what a time to get it. Um, but even, like, even Pagliuca ran about 70 yards, even he still had enough enthusiasm and energy to run 70 yards to celebrate. It was an extraordinary moment, but not just the goal. Like It, was, it wasn't just against the run of play, it was a complete affront to the run of play. Um, but also the fact Dossena had scored it, who hadn't scored all season. Um, and that was the moment really when, because Inter you know, had to win the game, so now they kind of, they were on the front for already, but then they, they, we've got scored twice, so they went into kind of kamikaze mode almost for the rest of the game, which made them one of the most exciting half hours, certainly the most exciting 20-minute period for this goal um, that I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you mentioned uh, Paolo Stringara there, and he's, he's a funny player because he can, he's come to Inter from Bologna, he's played one season there, and he doesn't actually have a bad first half. No, I thought he played really well, actually, apart from this, that part in the goal. Yeah, and it's funny because the, the, the sad thing is that I think that when that goal goes in, I think you feel the atmosphere start to change. I mean, what is there, 80,000 or so in the San Siro? Mm-hmm. And you do feel now that Inter and the fans, it's, it's, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, he actually had... Um... At the beginning of the second half, Stringara actually, to me, I thought it was a stonewall penalty. He goes into the area, yeah, and he's he's tripped, and maybe maybe by today, you know, by the standards of nineteen ninety one, it wasn't given. But I thought it was a stonewall. The, the Sampdoria yeah. defender doesn't get the ball. Stringara, his foot is stamped on, and he falls over, and the referee doesn't give it. But then, when you see the penalty that Inter get later on, you kind of think maybe he's equalizing things up. It's a funny one, isn't it? I mean, I, I thought it was, but um, it is always difficult to look back at the, the times because 
throughout this game some of the challenges that go in. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, a, even, there, there's a challenge later on that Ricardo oh. Ferry uh, commits in Viali and he literally scissors him from behind yeah. as Viali's running and, through and he gets a yellow card and I'm like, he would do time now if he did that challenge. <laughs> yeah, there's one straight after the goal, Serena f- knocks Pari over with an absolute peach of an elbow and the, the referee just waves him up just to get on with it. I think now that's the same. It's a, it's a clear red. Um, so you're right, it's quite hard. Some things you can kind of remember what the standards were like in 1991, but other times it's quite difficult to know kind of what was, what, you know, for example, elbows in the face is a red card, but for example, I was watching something the other day where someone shoves a hand in someone's face. I think, was that a red card in 91? I genuinely don't know. The, the interesting thing is though, and this is what this why this game's so crazy because the Stringara one, I would say, yeah, that's a penalty, even probably even there. But the one that I think you mentioned was it Ferry when it, it goes for him later on. That's reminiscent of Kinesia in, in Natalia United with Cameroon when he just gets hacked. So you know, it's just horrendous. But then you look at what the the two red cards came for from Bergami and Mancini. So there's no, just none of it makes any sense. Right. Yeah, because really, if, if you're sending off Bergamo Mancini for the earlier incident, then you, aren't you sending someone off for that, you know, the elbow or the other tackle? I think this is a, a problem with, just to digress slightly, with Bergamo, I would love to get rid of VR, but I don't think you can, because I think now that we've kind of opened that box, if we ever went back to, in 91, we would just accept these kind of eccentricities, if you like, and even as recently as probably 2016, you know, people would get annoyed, but they wouldn't, but I think now once you've seen once you've brought in VAR, I don't think we could ever go back to a world where, you know, elbows in the face aren't red cards. Because I just think people will complain so much. Um, which I think is why they had to be more careful before they brought it in. But that's a, that's another point. No, no, it's, it's a valid one as well. And I think, you know, when you look at Italy and the, the culture, the football culture there, and how much of it surrounds the referee. You know, the fact yeah. that so many television shows on... Uh, just debating the refereeing decisions and it's always been such a hot topic that, you know, you can imagine, I mean, I can, well, I can only imagine how long this game, what debate that would have caused. <laughs> how long yeah. And yeah. You're, you're right. I mean, VAR now, I mean, I, I think that probably most Italians probably don't like VAR for one reason and it's, you know, it stops some of the fun of lamenting that they get, sorry, get, Chastadise the referees twenty four seven. So it's a, it's an interesting one because yeah, there doesn't seem any consistency. And yet again, you know, we talk about the referee in this game, and we mentioned it before. He's not a professional, and this yeah, is, this is probably and because obviously, I mean, Martin Tyler says in commentary, you will never see this uh, football of this quality be played at this intensity, mm. and you, you know, and, and so and these are two of the biggest teams of the time, and you've got a part time referee. In yeah, charge. it's incredible. So, so from there, because um, <laughs> we're not finished yet, what, what what happens next, Rob? Because it all gets a bit interesting again. I mean, yeah, just look at like no, it all happened so quickly. So the Sailors goal, sixty minutes, sixty-five minute, sixty-five minutes. Lombardo misses a great chance, goes through, brilliant counter attack, and drives wide. Then almost straight away, um, into get a dodgy penalty when uh, Sampdoria get a bit of a mess. They just yeah. I think Pellegrino tries to clear it, it hits Cerezo, and then it's just a complete free-for-all. And then, yeah, Bertie steps across Cerezo, goes down. And for ages, it's chaos, because people don't know whether they're given a penalty or not. Bertie kind of marches off trying to pick a fight with the Sampdoria bench. Paluca <laughs> goes after him and shoves him in the face. It's just, it's glorious. Um, like So, 
so theatrical. Um, Lauter Matthias has planted the ball on the spot. Drama upon drama. Here comes Matthias. Oh, and he saved it! And Matthias, as the ball rolled fractionally free, got to it, but could only get it wide. And then eventually, after a while, Matthias takes it, who as we've spoken about was deadly from 20 yards, never mind 12, but hits it like he's trying to burst the net. But It's not in the corner, though. Paliuka goes the right way, saves it. And then there's this incredible moment when the ball breaks just in front of Paliuka and he's trying, his body's kind of in an L shape, so he can't reach it with his hands. And he's just, Mateus is homing in on him like some horror movie villain, you know, and he doesn't know what to do. So he just sort of drags his leg across the ball, which hits Mateus and goes wide in the post. Mateus ends up on, on his knees. It's just the most incredible, that split second when the ball is there in between um, Paliuka and Mateus, it just felt like it lasted forever, you know. Um, but then he just, get the game gets even more surreal. Mateus has had a penalty save for all people. Um, and that's still only after 67 minutes still more, plenty more to go yeah question on the Mateus one I mean it is a brilliant moment for, for Sampdoria and I mean the, the neutral the, the atmosphere at that point because the penalties under the cover Nord you've got the entire you know section of the Inter Ultras just want, willing that ball to go in you're right he took a similar penalty against the Czech Republic in, um, in the course of mm. 2019 it just it did go Slammed down the middle past stage guard. It was a, it was a brilliant pen. Um, but you're right, Pagliuca sort of stands his ground. It doesn't quite go where Mateus is wanting it to go. But the question I've got for both of you is that in the World Cup final, well, let me start again. Mateus, we were talking about the goals, and he's probably scored out of the 20, oh, sorry, 16 goals he scored, he's probably scored at least eight from 20 yards. But he's probably also scored eight penalties. Mm. So, you know, that this is the thing. So he doesn't normally miss, but in Italian 90, okay, he says he was, his calf was hurting, but it did look at the time, I mean, Andrew, Andrew's Brem's got a different story, that when that penalty comes right at the end, that Mateus turns to Andreas Brem and says, look, you know, this, is one, this one's for you. You do feel that in that moment, I've always wondered that if it was just such a magnitude of the moment, that again, this time he probably thought, no, I need to stand, stand up and take it this time. I always wonder, she not pass that one over to Andre's brain? Quite possibly. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess he was just so... Yeah, it's hard to differentiate, really, unless he did with genuine about the calf thing. I don't know. But, yeah, his penalty-taking... A brain will obviously have more precision and could also take both feet, which always fascinated me. Mm. Um, but I still think at that time, you would still think Matez is going to score. I'm sure he did as well. And he'd had so many shots that day. Maybe it had become a kind of demented mission to score both for himself and obviously for, for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. I think by then as well, uh, the atmosphere is really getting heated, both on the field, <laughs> more so in the crowd, have absolutely turned by this point. It's, uh, it's becoming... Uh, I think I think by then it's becoming apparent it's not going to be into today. I mean, Emmett, would you say that's probably the case? Yeah, I mean, when you've got the the reigning Ballon d'Or winner who happens to be German missing a penalty at a time when Germans didn't miss penalties, and then the rebound doesn't fall nicely for him because if you were watching that in real time, you would think, "Oh God, Paliuka's not going to get the rebound. He spilled it." Yeah, and then the ball is kind of 
as Rob said, kind of in between both of them. Mateus runs and it ricochets off his shins and goes out for a goal kick. You just think, yeah, it's not Inter's day. They can't score. If Mateus can't score from 12 yards, we have no chance. <laughs> and so, Rob, after this, I mean, you know, Inter, as we say, you know, they must be thinking it's not their day. Uh, how does it go after this? Well, the thing is, it's interesting. I don't know what you mean. When you get a moment like that, you think it's not meant to be. But actually, still, 20, still a quarter of the game to go. And you think, if they get one even as late as almost the 88th minute, they've got a chance because of the way, you know, blind panic might say. But, yeah, so what happened almost straight after the penalty, and I think this was a mistake, they, um, they brought him Fausto Pizzi, who was a really good player, but they took off Stringara. So it meant they had basically only one centre-back and no defensive midfielder. Not even a half defensive midfielder. You know, the midfield was now pretty much all attackers. Bertie, Mateus, uh, Bianchi, Pizzi, and whoever else. So it just made, made them even more exposed on the counter. And... Um, yeah, you get to the point where... Jeez, where I'm just looking at my notes. So then there were kind of quite a few minutes. Um, and then there was an incredible incident. The 75th minute when... Um... Here's uh, Dostena. Lombardo is round the goalkeeper. It's hit the post. Viali's still waiting in the middle. Here he is. And it's off the line. In years to come, people will be saying... Here, I was at that game. So much that will live long in the memory. Lombardo went through, round the keeper, hit the post, flick, kind of flicked it a bit like the Clinton finish earlier, but um, outside the foot, but he hit the post, came back to him, and he kind of muscles his way back across the area, finds Viali, who's shot is cleared off the line incredibly by Bremer, who kind of appeared right at the last minute. Um, and it's just, yeah, the, the drama was kind of off the scale. I always remember Martin Tyler, who's quite a kind of calm, sober commentator. And by this point, he's just shouting, basically. Um, and it was just, it was just incredible. Um, and it's then... Commentary, isn't it? I mean, oh, one, lose wonderful. Yeah, it really is. It's worth looking up. It's so good. Um, and then there's a weird thing straight after that. So they get a corner because of that. And then Dossena basically goes all the way back to Pellegrini. He goes all the way back to Pagliuca. It's really bizarre. Um but straight from that, um, Fiali scores. They go back one side, come out the other, into push out. Manini drives a long ball over the top. Viali's left alone with Ferry. Like, no one within about 30 yards of them, which again ties in with Stringara going off. Goes uh, Kind of muscles Ferry aside, goes round Zenga and scores. It's a brilliant goal. Zenga goes charging after the lines, and I'm still not entirely sure what, whether he thought it was handball or something or offside, but... Um, He's all over the lines. When Viali does his some kind of clumsy somersault. Grown men, hardened football watchers, are scarcely able to turn their eyes to this. And surely it's two this time. It is the somersault of celebration from Gianluca Viali. Um, and it's just a perfect moment that sums up that that beautiful season he had. Obviously, he had a shocker at Italian 90, started the season injured and ended up scoring, I think, was it 19 goals or something like that? However many, but he just had a brilliant season and particularly scored goals in pretty much all the big games. He scored vital penalties at home to Milan, Juventus and Inter and really nerveless penalties. Um, and then this moment, yeah, it's just kind of sums up his entire, probably the well, I mean, he might say otherwise, obviously, winning the Champions League, but it feels like, from afar, that it was the best season of his career. He was electric, absolutely. Yeah, electric. Really you know, like you say, it's a good point as well, because he was coming off the back of what was a, a poor World Cup from him as well. And so, you know, it's, it was um, 
certainly one of those. Oh yeah, that, that game. Just going back to what you said about Zenga. Martin Tyler at the time, Zenga is absolutely charging over to the the linesman, and he's absolutely berating him. And when I saw that, I watched it back, and I made no secret of you know my feeling for Inter, but I cannot see what he's moaning about there. No, he did something similar. Do you remember a few weeks earlier, Van Basten scored a late winner in the derby? And he runs about 60 yards after the referee in that one. And again, I'm not sure what that's about. Maybe a perceived handball. But um, yeah, I guess it just shows the, the sheer intensity is kind of manifest in those reactions and obviously what happened to the crowd later. And some of it is obviously beyond the pale, all the stuff that happened with things being thrown at Paluka. But I think that was why, particularly when you're younger, stuff like that, it was so kind of, it was just a completely different environment to what we were used to in England. It was just incredibly exciting to watch that. Even the stuff that was obviously not, you know, appropriate behaviour. It was still kind of guiltily exciting in a way. But certainly things like, I used to love all the um, the extreme reactions of players like Zenga and Bertie and, uh, yeah, I just found it hilarious. You're right. Interesting. I was thinking back about this because I've always got memories, and I think maybe you do look about rose-tinted glasses, so, you know, that's partly what our website's about, saying that, you know, when you look back, don't just look at that, look at the dark underbelly of Italian football. But especially to being a young child, I looked at that game and I I was surprised watching it back about, well, not surprised because the, it was very different back then, um, very much so, even, you know, in, with the Italian ultras and the, the way they were, it's completely different to how they are now. So taking that into account, but the, the ferocity of that, um, that moment and when they are ripping up the chairs, and obviously Agluchi gets badly hurt, it seems, and, you know, he goes down for a while. And it's quite, it is quite shocking to think, why don't I remember that? Because there's moments of that game I remember, but that part I don't. But I think there's two reasons. Maybe because, you know, we were just accustomed to that in football. Not just in Italian football, but obviously even more so in British football. So I think that when we look back, I, well, it was just part of the game. It was accepted. And the difference was, yeah, it was happening in Italy, but it was camouflaged in these amazing stadiums, fantastic kits and world-class players, maybe. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point, actually. It, was, it wasn't normal, but it wasn't completely shocking in the way it might be now, or almost just look back. But I think I think also, when you're when you're younger, you kind of, it's not that you have less of a social conscience, but you just tend to focus, don't you, more on the kind of exciting or the positive stuff, the actual football. That's what kind of gets you into the game. Um, I'm sure, yeah, I, I think it is. It's just that, really. The, the past always has, like, it's kind of a mixture it has a kind of cartoon quality a lot of the time, but there are other times, certainly with the kind of, say things like the physical challenges on the field and stuff, they kind of, they look funny now, whereas actually if they happened now, they'd probably be quite shocking and we'd all be kind of um, criticising them. But stuff on the field, off the field, it can surprise you a little bit, but I feel like it's more, it's more, not shocking, but it's more surprising almost, or it kind of raises more of an eyebrow now than it did then. Uh, it was just kind of part of, not part of the culture, but it just kind of, it happened often enough for it not to be particularly unusual. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, but I don't know, I don't know if Emmett feels differently, you know, being, being less of an old man than me. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, being a fan of Italian football, you kind of, once it happened, you, when you see, you see the ultras throwing things at Paliuka and they're trying to rip up seats, you, you get like, oh, okay, this is their reaction. But I also think that, um, Part of it too is that the fact that Inter at San Siro had outside of Milan hadn't lost to anybody at home for three years. 
from February from February eighty eight till this game in May ninety one, only Milan have beat them at home. So I would say That's probably the ultras weren't used to seeing a team outside of Milan beat them at home, and especially in this fashion. Uh, you know, with, given the stakes were so high, and they probably just. That's it. <laughs> they're, they're raining stuff down. Yeah. They're trying to rip up seats. Yeah, it's, it's a good point because it was a long. It was a very long run. Very long run indeed. It's, all, it's also really weird to see Gianluca Vialli with her. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. It's a good point. So, just closing up on on this game. I mean, obviously, um, it meant that. Sampdoria, I mean Boscov, what a season he had with Sampdoria. They they obviously uh, finished finished uh, leaders, uh, won that league. I mean, what what a run they they went on. Um, you know, I mean they haven't lost since 13th of January. They go on after this. Funnily enough, they drew with Torino, um, beat Lecce, and drew three three with um, with Lazio away. And Inter, well, they do not have fun after this game in some respect because straight after that. Uh, that defeat to Sampdoria, they can't really get rid of the Genoese and um, they lose 3 0 to Genoa. Um, but then they finish quite strong, beating Lazio and, um, and Lecce. So, in the end, for Inter, it was a UEFA Cup win against Roma, quarterfinals of the Coppa, and obviously second, which, you know, when you look back, you can't can't stop at that. And, and Sampdoria, of course, as we say, you know, they finished first, reached the quarters of the, uh, the Cup Winners' Cup. and lost in the, in the final of the Coppa d'Italia. So, I mean, just to, to sum it all up, um, I mean, obviously, Rob, I want to ask you a couple of questions just about um, Italian football. And, you know, do you, but I'll ask that one now. Do you still um, watch a lot of Italian football or is it something that's sort of like a lot of people where it's, it's caught in this wonderful bubble in the past or is it something that you go back to a lot? Uh, it's probably... I don't watch as much as I should, but I think that applies to all football, to be honest. Um, often it's just dictated by work, which means inevitably a lot of English football. But what I would say, this isn't just kind of justifying it. Whenever I do watch it, I do really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I just find, you know, it's like life gets in the way the older you get. And it's hard to, when you work watching football, it's hard to um, persuade your family you should sit and watch more football with them <laughs> when you're not working. Um but I do like occasionally I do live blogs for the Guardian. I do always really enjoy them. But um, yeah, they're probably funny enough. I didn't, and I really regret this, and I don't really know why. I didn't even my my probably my peak of watching Serie A was ninety to ninety two. I, I did watch it on Channel Four, but not as much as I know so many people of my age who were kind of watched it religiously. And I I probably didn't. I don't know whether I can't even remember why. Whether whether it was watching English football or whether it was when you go to university you do other things. I don't know. But um, so I kind of I. I I kind of I don't mind that I don't watch it so much now because it's just what happens you get older. But I do regret not watching it more in those kind of glory glory years of the mid nineties in particular. But I do have such fond memories of those, particularly the two years from ninety to ninety two when it was just so exciting and exotic and yeah. And I don't think there's ever been, and I'm not sure there ever will be a domestic league as strong as Serie A was. I mean, you could always take the cutoff point wherever you like, any point between around eighty four and. 99, you could squash it if you like to, I don't know, 88 to 94, or whatever. But I think within that period, it's the best that the best of football will ever be. Um, and I'd love someone to write a book on it because there must be a million stories off the field, never mind on. I mean, just as a quick digression, we spoke to, um, when I was working on a book called Danish Dynamite about the Denmark team in the 80s, we spoke to Klaus Berger, who played for a few clubs, and he told us so many amazing stories off the record about just these things that you cannot imagine now. 
Um, and then you see the Maradona film and you realise the sheer craziness of it. Never mind how good the football was. Um, yeah. It could be like a thousand page book and it would never get dull. But <laughs> yeah, so I have really fond memories. I don't watch as much as I'd like to, but um, yeah, that's the way it is, I guess. Was you who'd seen back then? Did you lean towards Sampdoria? No, I, I think I did at that point, yeah, just because of the, sh- the sheer charm of them going for their first ever Scudetto. And they just had, they just seemed to have a kind of, kind of a really um, infectious innocence. Viali had such personality as well. I loved all the little things they did, like, you know, when they won the league and they came on in their kind of ludicrous mullets and leather gear to sing the final countdown by Europe, or to mime it anyway. <laughs> Viali, Mancini, and a couple of others. And they did that photo where they all dressed up like a team from the 1910s. They just seemed to have a lot of fun as well as, I mean, football in Italy was very, very serious, as we saw with the Interfans' reaction, but they just seemed to have a kind of a lovely balance as well. And actually, what I I like about them, what I found out subsequently, when when you're that age, you just kind of watch the games, I didn't really know the story about Mantovani and the whole kind of journey they'd had to winning the league and how much he meant to them. Um, and the more I read about that, the more it kind of gave it almost a second life, which was really nice, reading about how, you know, they would go out for dinners and they had a pack that none of them would leave until they'd won the league. Um, I only wish they'd won the European Cup as well, but, yeah, you can't have everything. And it's such a fond memory of watching that team. And also, because no one really at school, I had a couple of mates who watched it, but no one else really did. So it felt like a very kind of personal thing. It obviously... I wasn't texting or tweeting or anything. I remember calling my dad actually at half time during this game because it was shown on delay, I think, on the sports channel on B Sky B. So and he he was kind of stuck in his ways. Didn't particularly watch. He just watched English football. I was saying you've got to watch this game. It's incredible. But he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I don't know whether he did to this day, but it was quite kind of that kind of thing. It was just a very personal thing you, that you kind of wanted to share, but also it was quite nice. You didn't have to share something as much in those days to enjoy it, which I think is a kind of a nice thing and it makes it a really nice memory that's really eloquently put i can really associate with that i think yeah i can't i can't can't answer that at all um have you you got any questions for rob before we we uh we close up on our first greatest games um can i can i really quickly add some stats on the game which i think convey Uh, i I, I was going to do the stats but you go ahead rob it's your game (laughs) oh no 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 no, you work away you work away these might, these might be wrong. These aren't official Optus stats. These are homemade. <laughs> Inter had 24 shots to Samp's six. 13 corners to Samp's one. Zenga didn't make a single save. Paliuka made at least 14. Yeah. I couldn't be bothered <laughs> to go back and But including a penalty. I mean, that is... And yet, within that... I mean, obviously, Sampdoria were lucky at times. Never more so with a penalty. But they also played... They had Some of their counter-attack in the second half was just devastating as well. So, maybe it was just because I liked it. But I certainly didn't begrudge them the win, even though they rode their luck a heck of a lot. Yeah, I, um, given that I, I'm a Juve fan, I'm used to seeing later years, latter years, Lombardo. I didn't realise how quick he was. Like, this is yeah, Lombardo no. at his peak, more or less. And he's flying down the right-hand side. You know, he was a good outlet for some on the counter-attack because he just was so quick. He didn't actually have that much pace otherwise, did they? They didn't have really have a play with a left wing or, or they, he would play almost as a wing back. It was a, I was trying to work out the formation. I don't know what you think. It was a really odd one because at times it looked like Benini was playing across left back. In the end, I decided it was a 3-5-2 with Lombardo and Dussena as wing backs, but albeit with Viali shuttling to the left. But I couldn't really work out. It wasn't kind of, it didn't feel like it was symmetrical, which was quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. It was hard to... Uh see what formation Boscoff was playing. I can definitely say that time, I can definitely say that Trapattoni was playing like a, a one one nine <laughs> towards the end. 
so so on Trapatoni Lake. <laughs> it, it was. It was. It was strange. It was. That's why. That's why that game was just brilliant. I think because, like you say, it was just chaos in, in yeah. so many ways. It just was. I mean, going back to the point, I think you made it very, very start. It, just the pace that was played at was, and for for, for that for the amount of time, it was um, absolutely incredible. I, one of the stats, very few minutes them, but one of the ones I'd like to know is the, the kilometres covered. Uh, yeah, I don't think they did that day to today, but yeah, it'd be interesting no, to know. No, Bert, I don't Bert, think Bert, Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. Excellent. Well, we're going to close this first one of our greatest games up. And Rob, thank you so much. I mean, even though this is a game that's got mixed emotions for me, it is an <laughs> absolute classic and I've I thoroughly enjoyed going back over it um, and, and, and reliving it. And it's, I think... What do you reckon, Emma? I think we're going to find it hard to top this one. Yeah, we're pretty, we might, might as well close the podcast, the series down because we, it's done. <laughs> the, the, the only game I could think of that would maybe come close for all our action is Juve Inter in 1988. I, the the, the infamous Ronaldo Giuliano incident. I'm closing this podcast down now because uh, recently <laughs> I think there's a fix here because every podcast we do Inter are on the receiving end <laughs> and it's happening more and more so I'm not going into that Juventus one just yet yeah. we, can do, we, can, we can have a look through something else let's talk Roma or something yeah. you know? so, <laughs> well, well the thing is this is kind of the end of that great Inter team because Trapattoni <laughs> leaves at the end of the, of the 91 season he goes back to Juve Mateus and Klinsman leave the following year Inter bring in um, Luis Suarez as manager and they finish like eighth the following season. So this is kind of the end of that great Inter team. Brema leaves then also. Worst of all, wasn't it when they replaced Mizuro, however you pronounce it, with Fiorici or something? The shirt was never the same again. Yeah. Those, the, the Inter shirt from about 86 to 91 was just stunning. Yeah. Oh, can we also, can we take a moment to appreciate the, the beautiful Sampdoria away shirt? Oh no! You know this is this is really frustrating. You can find you can find like uh, replica versions, which I'm sure aren't entirely official, of the home kit for that era. But nobody does the away kit. I've seen it. I've seen genuine versions secondhand for astronomical prices. But um, yeah, the white kit is beautiful. I mean, the blue one obviously is lovely, but I actually think I prefer the white kit. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it is special that one. It really is. Would you say that's your favourite one? From that sort of era, Rob, or is there anything that stops you? It's so obvious, but I just think the Milan Mediolanum is that how you pronounce it? I don't yeah. know. But anyway, I think that's just so iconic. There are a few though, I love a couple of the Fiorentina ones from around then, the seven up one, and then going later to Nintendo. I mean, you you did a great piece, didn't you, on the site about the greatest kits of the last however many years? And I was just basically drooling looking at them. Um yeah, some of them memorable, some of them, which I didn't know, but actually kind of fell in love with there and then. I mean, oh, geez, I could go on for half an hour about that, you know, all the <laughs> Napoli ones, um, the, particularly Mars, but also the Brutoni, and uh, yeah, where, where'd, you, where'd you stop with those? Yeah, we, we, we love kits on this side. We've been doing, <laughs> all the editors and uh, the guys you write for us are doing um, our top kits at the moment. We've just got a series out. And there's also one that's interesting, um, worth a look, is there. Uh, was it top five? How many is it now? Top ten Serie B kits. Yeah, top ten oh, Serie B kits of all time. Which is interesting, and that yeah, that they could do a podcast on that. To be fair, but that's a good one as well. Excellent. Well, Rob, before we let you go, um, obviously anyone listening to you um, wants to, you know, 
look you up, whether it's on social media, whether it's uh, where you write. Have you anything that's uh, you know you want to you want to plug at the moment, or and tell our listeners where they can get hold of you? Um, so I, I sometimes appear on a podcast called Nessun Dorma, which is about 80s and 90s football. Uh, I'm not sure about social media. I think it's at Nessun Dorma Pod. Um, I'm not Twitter myself, but um, yeah, that, that, if anyone fancies more uh, chat about old football, then go there. Excellent stuff. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you come back on. We'll have to get you back on for maybe one of the kits episodes. Or if it is 80s, 90s football, uh, we'd love to have you back on the pod, Rob. Yeah, that'd be lovely. Thanks ever so much for having me. And sorry about the bad memories. <laughs> yeah, no worries. I said, I said this to Emma beforehand. Last night, I, I, I was watched this game for the first time, and it did get me a bit like frustrated that watching <laughs> how did Inter not take these chances? And then I went on to watch Inter brushing munching Gladbach, and honest, my, my <laughs> by the end of the night was just not good. So. No, it's uh, not you that does it to, to me, it's, uh, it's Inter. So, mm. without further ado, we will see you all. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all on the next pod. Ciao for now.